everybody, welcome to episode 87 of Literary Disco. Today, it's a good old-fashioned bookshelf revisit. Todd, Julia, and I will each pull a book down from our shelves to discuss. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, novelist and critic Todd Goldberg and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. Hi, guys. Hi. It is also, in addition to a bookshelf revisit, it's a host revisit because we haven't seen each other in a good long time. I know, I miss So we've got a lot of shit we, we have to catch up on. So, yeah, Ryder, you're no longer colorblind, apparently. Well, I'm still colorblind. We'll get. Did you even know you were colorblind? Yeah, yeah. yeah. we'll get to that in a moment. The more important thing oh, okay. is that Ryder, you just went on vacation to Bali with a small child. Okay. What? Oh, Bali. Is it Bali, Bali or is it Bali? Bali. If, if, if I went to Bali's Vegas, it's Bali. I used to belong. I might still owe money to Bali's Total Fitness. Now that I think about it. Oh my god. I used to defraud the I actually feel like maybe the English call it Bally. It does sound like a, a something a, a British person. I Bally. went to Bally. vacation in Bally. Uh, <laughs> Bally. Um, yeah, it was fantastic. It was a great trip. It was the first vacation um, of Vec Child. And, oh. You know, we were nervous. It was I'm like, fucked up because I said Bally. You're, you're just dropping French words into shit. It's a fait accompli of Vec Our Child. Uh, you know how it is. An idea fixed. Ah, uh, Frère <laughs> The mezzan sen was incredible. Ah, the mezzanine. Um, no, we. It, it was a. Uh, it was a great trip. It was totally. It was. It was. It was funny because we planned this trip. This was supposed to be our honeymoon, but then of course, um, once Alex got pregnant, it was postponed, and and so. We found very cheap tickets, and we were like, you know what? We can still do this. Yeah, let's do this. And we bought our tickets and then watched our son grow and grow into an eight-month-old and realized that making that decision when your son is three months old is is not really a clear uh, perspective on how it's going to work out time This is a whole <laughs> different creature at eight months. So we were terrified, right. and it was great. It was totally great, and I recommend to any young parents out there, don't be... Don't be scared to to travel and uh, to take your kid on adventures because um, it's been great for us so far. Um, I, I, the best advice we got, and the reason we I did this trip is because I was at a wedding um, last year and I sat sat next to a couple, and this guy um, they had, they had a couple of kids, and the guy turned to us and he said, you know, um, my my advice because he knew Alex was pregnant, he said, my advice uh, the first year the baby's a backpack. Mm. Just, treat the baby as a backpack he's like you will feel better about it because he's like after that after that first year not as easy <laughs> but the first year take advantage that the baby is a backpack it's good for the baby it's good for you guys and it was it was the best advice because we've just tried to you know keep on the move and, and travel as much as we always do so how was uh, uh how was just the flying or was did he sleep the whole time yeah that's the crazy part i mean that's what we were most scared of he was fine i mean he was he was great you know nobody notices a baby when they're quiet right. Like, when you, you don't realize that until you have a baby that, like, you can be there with your baby for, like, he slept eight hours on the way there, like, just conked out, and we were like, yes! Um, but, you know, it's still, there were four more hours in the flight. Oh, so, after eight hours, now he's wide awake, he slept through the night. So, it was fine, you know, what but, you know, of course, nobody even knew there was a baby in the aisle until, uh, you know hour nine of a 12-hour flight and then it was like what is you when know, people so, are their most tolerant whatever, i should note <laughs> exactly yeah so you know it was but it was no more difficult than you would imagine and it's like at a certain point you just go this is this is the the price you pay to travel and it's you know at least we're not spending four months on a boat to get there which is what it would have been 40 years ago or well, <laughs> that's that perspective but, you know, like <laughs> yeah <laughs> At least we're not dying in the middle passage. You don't get scurvy in order to go to Bali, you know? 40 years ago, in the 60s. In the 1960s, when planes didn't exist. (laughs) When I'd have to take a schooner. What was the... Okay, did having Indy along with you, you know, like, give us the best moment. What was the, like, did he... Open your eyes to new things in Valley Total Fitness, or <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> I tell you that lat um, pull down is really effective. <laughs> um, no, 
I mean, I would just say like there was one there was one day where we did this like you know a, a trek basically you know it was called like a rice paddy trek where it's like you have a guide and they take you around like the rice fields and into the jungle and you know it's one of these things that like Alex and I would love to do when we travel and it was the like can we do this is you know can we just strap him onto a backpack and do this hike and we did and it was awesome like within the first hour he was like loving every second and watching everything and then he just fell asleep on my back and like slept <laughs> for 45 minutes while I was walking and it was great and we, we realized like okay he's gonna adjust and he's gonna figure this out and it was like he never cried it was like a five hour hike through the jungle and we're like climbing you know crossing rivers on bamboo like literally a single piece of bamboo with another with a rope and you're just walking across this giant thick bamboo it so it was super oh, fun. Something it was like that, that at your of, wedding. You know, and we have like, yeah. Yeah. There were moments that were like, wow, this is kind of, you know, this is the real deal. And that's what you want out of travel. Right. And, you know, but we have a photo of me doing that with like Indy smiling on my back. It's like, you know, and that that's is awesome. just, uh, but no, like the most, the most like exciting moment as far as what he got to experience was definitely taking him swimming. Um, because he had never been in a pool before. Oh, and, wow. You know, we stayed at a place with a pool, and it was, like, warm and wonderful, and you just, his face is, like, lit up, and the idea of water, like, totally thrilling for him. Huh. So, yeah, oh, that's awesome. That's fun. That's a good time. Cool. Don't, uh, don't post the photos of you and Indy walking across a thread of bamboo unless you want a response piece in Salon. <laughs> <laughs> right. Writer Strong. It's like threatens. me next to Britney Spears when she was, like, driving with her baby and right. all that. Right. <laughs> like that. Oh, that's really cool. Well, I'm glad you guys got to do that. It sounds like fun. Because, um, yeah. you know, Julie... But more importantly, let's hear about this colorblind. Oh, yeah. okay. So, um, so I'm colorblind. This is what I'm... the listeners tune in for. Yeah, this is this is the good shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'm, I'm profoundly colorblind. I'm red-green colorblind, and um, I don't really see basically any shades of green i just see one shade of green um and i can't really like the most things to me i think are the color gray and frequently those things are blue or pink or red um i never knew this but so you can fake it enough like you if somebody says like what color is that rug you can kind of see like oh it's a color i don't see so you guess like where yeah i i can i mean I, i don't like try to to deceive people because typically no i know i'm just but i mean how but you know when right. something's like green right you know it's no green. you don't necessarily not see always it. so sometimes what i think is green is red um so for instance the other day i was at um i was at canters with my sisters before we went to go see jason isbell live in concert at the wiltern theater and um i was getting excited about getting these uh color blindness correcting glasses and so even though my sisters have known me my entire life, they're like, well, then what color is that? And what color is that? Um, and the booth that we were sitting in was dark green. Um, I guess sort of uh, maybe like an emerald green. And I thought it was red. Um, so, and it was all, the way the light was hitting. And so it, it's really hard for me to tell. But specifically, wow. if red and green are together, um, I typically just see one color. I can just see either green or I just see oh red. Oh, God. So Christmas is just like... Christmas gives me a... a wall it, it also gives me a headache. Christmas gives me a terrible headache. Um, and then there's the guilt because of Jesus and all that. Um, but... Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. So my brother... Um, well, actually, my sister Linda posted a video on her Facebook like two months ago and said, you know, oh, my God, Todd, you got to see this. There's these glasses that correct colorblindness. You've look at these videos and it's all these tearful videos of people putting on these glasses for the first time and being like, Oh my God, I can see color. And, and I was like, Oh my God, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, you know, I gotta get these glasses. Um, but I hadn't gotten my eyes checked again yet. So I need to get a new prescription. So I had to go get a prescription. But in the meantime, my brother went out and got the glasses and he got them first and he put them on and he's also profoundly colorblind. And he called me and he said, Oh my God! You gotta, you gotta come over next time you're in LA. You have to come over. You have to put these glasses on. It's gonna be absolutely remarkable. It's gonna change your life. And I was dubious because my brother is my brother, so therefore he is prone to um, exaggeration and uh, extrapolation of truth. <laughs> so um, 
I went to his house and um, he said, all right, I'm going to, we're going to go and I just want you to look at this bush. And so Wendy was there with me. Um, so we went out there and I put these glasses on and he says, says all right, it's going to take a couple of minutes, you know, to really have any sort of profound effect. And so I put the... Well, how does it work? It, um, so it doesn't correct your eyes. It changes the way, I guess, the light comes into your eyes so that the colors are in your spectrum and you can see but them. I don't, what is the technology is so it, the tech just a prism like it's just no a it's glass it, it's that... it's some sort of I don't, I, I don't know the exact science but um what i can tell you is that it was discovered by a doctor who was designing glasses so that when they were doing laser surgery they could see better and not be blinded by the laser colors hmm. and um he w was trying these glasses out he had built them himself and then a friend of his who was colorblind put the glasses on and was like what the hell are these? I, what are these colors I'm seeing? Wow. So I put the glasses on, and we're in this garden, and it, it, was, it was like that moment when you, got, when you saw HDTV for the first time, and you're like, oh my god, have everything I've been watching all my life been a blurry, jumbled mess, and now everything is in yes. sharp focus? Yes. Except then I saw all these colors I had never seen before. That's and it was like it was too much for me to take at first. I was just like, oh my god, the, the what is that color? What I've I have never seen that color before. And apparently it was um it was sort of a violet color that I, I just can't see. Then there were there was a tree that was green and red and without the glasses on it just looked like a jumble of green and then i could i could see every single leaf i could see every color um God. but the most amazing thing is well there are two things um the first was that i had the glasses on and i was looking at wendy my wife for those of you who are just listening and i had never seen her eyes before um in my mind uh they're sort of off brown colored but apparently Wendy has a very vibrant green eye. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I had never seen it before. And so I was looking at her and I was like, oh my God, you have beautiful green eyes. I've, I've never seen them. And then I was looking at pictures of myself. It's like a plot point for yeah. a lifetime. And I was yeah. looking at pictures of myself. <laughs> I can see my wife's eyes. Apparently I have hazel eyes. I didn't know I had hazel eyes. I had no idea. That's so weird. So man. I've. That's so weird. The, and the crazy thing is, so I wore them for like an hour, and I, I, I mean, I, I was like near tears while I was wearing them, um, but it really started to hurt, like right in the center of my forehead, and basically, you know, it was building these new processes in my mind. Um, the weird thing is that, so without the glasses, I still can't see those colors, but I now have the memory of those colors and so when i see things that are supposed to be that color sometimes i'm able to fill it in um wow. yeah so it's, it's a it's a really strange thing so my my actual glasses arrive uh, in a couple weeks um i'm very excited about it uh, cool. but it was it was like seeing the world for the first time wow this, this is all making me very paranoid that i don't see everything so here's the thing is then I had this existential problem of how do I know what I'm seeing now is what you're seeing? How have you I? You don't. I don't. I have no idea. Yeah, I know. It's I very know. strange. But so that was the amazing thing that that happened to me while you were off uh, doing the lat pull down at Valley's Total Fitness with your kid. <laughs> All right. Well, I have no idea how to segue this, except I'm going to say it's a segue back towards books because this is about a book event. Uh, but here's what I was doing um, before we started hanging out again. So this is earlier today. Um, the most embarrassing thing that has ever happened to me happened today at a book event. Here's wow. what happened. The most embarrassing thing? It's real bad. <laughs> it's still pretty fresh. <laughs> It's still pretty uh, fresh. I'm sure there's something that happened as a kid that was probably way um, worse. Did you, okay. did you ever ask Susie Merrill if she was pregnant? Because I did. Yeah. This is worse yeah. than that. This is worse than that. Or Todd's reunion story. Where, where I asked someone else if they were pregnant. Bell. 
Um, no, but then didn't you run into the guy yes. who worked at Taco Bell yes. and still okay, worked there? This yeah, isn't yeah, about it. Todd being stupid, okay? This is a true true humiliation that was not my fault. All right, I can't wait. Okay. I can't wait, please. So I was asked to, um, as, you know, happens to you guys too. So I was asked to moderate a panel uh, at a crime conference in Connecticut. And this happened at the Westport Public Library. Now, you guys are not from the East Coast, so Westport is the fanciest place, um, you know, in New England, basically. It's super fancy. So even their public library is like, I walked in the public library and it had more beautiful things for sale than all of Hartford combined in the library. It had like a car section. In the free place. Okay. Yeah, like t-shirts and whatever. So, um, so it was a crime crime convention, crime con, and I was super excited that they had asked me to moderate, and I've, you know, I've moderated a bunch of programs around here, so I was, like, rolling in really confident, and I had not over-prepared, let's say, so I was, like, you know, like, I wrote down my questions, I was thinking about them in the car, like, I, I was kind of prepared, and I came in, like, five minutes before, which was already cutting it close, so it's sort of, like, I, I, I'm just on that edge, that procrastinator's edge of, like, I pulled this off. Like, I'm here. I'm ready to go. Whatever. So I'm I go so up. I'm so nervous right now. Yeah, you uh, should I'm, be. I'm All really right. so, starting to fear I'm this. I'm, like, sweating. <laughs> I, so I, I go. I have to use the restroom. <laughs> the panelists are all sitting on. There's a stage. Um, they're sitting on the stage. They're all there. There's four panelists, which is a lot. And Who are they? <laughs> Uh, they are, I, uh, not important, not important. So well, they're, maybe they're my friends. So it, that, that part is important. Um, <laughs> save it for uh, I can't remember their name. All right. Save not it for important, not important. Okay. So they are, you know, they're, they're crime writers from like ranging from like very minor cat mystery to like <laughs> doing pretty well. <laughs> so, so Oh, I God. get up on stage. Yeah, this is so amazing. So I, like, introduce myself really quick. So, like, they have no attachment to me. Right. And I get up, and they each have, like, it's one long table, and it is a packed room, probably 100 to 150 people in this library. And one, one like, long, wide table, and they each, and there's this, like, beautiful little runner on it, and they each have their little, like, mics, and... They're, like, about to introduce me, and the moderators are, like, oh, you can just, like, pull the mic from the podium over to you, and that'll be your mic, which is, is fine. So they introduce me, and first of all, they've left my name out of the program, so they can't, like, remember anything about me except they've seen me do comedy. And they're, like, yeah, she's done, like, Mark Twain and other stuff, Joan Diddy and blah, blah, blah. And they're, like, oh, but God. also, she's, like, a comedian. So already I'm, like, ugh. Because there is no worse way to be introduced than right. also then she's funny. a comedian. Right. Horrible, horrible. So, oh my god. Oh my god. What's so, <laughs> so <right> yeah. <laughs> so they walk away. The people who introduced me, who are standing like on the floor at this podium, walk away, and I like reach over and I I grab the mic at the podium and I'm like. Hi, and I was so composed and together, which is very unlike me. And I, I said like probably, I, I think all I said was like, "Hi, I'm Julia Pastel, and it's like such an honor to be here." And as I'm reaching for this podium, my my chair <laughs> slipped off the stage, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So my chair starts going off the stage, just like so bad. And it's one of those chairs that is, like, built on, like, a wire. You know, oh, it doesn't God. have legs. It has, like, a wire. So, like, as soon as it's oh. going, it's gone. And I, like, grab for purchase for, like, all this shit that's on the table. So, as oh, you guys know from our live show, I have a water, a coffee, a notebook, like, a bunch of pens, like, all kinds of crap all over the table. Oh, Jesus. So, I, like, grab, and I, like, throw this stuff basically everywhere. I throw it in the air. <laughs> Including all the drinks, I grab the runner that all the mics are sitting on. Oh, God, no, 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 you and, didn't. Yeah, no, you didn't. This is yeah, so this, great. I swear to God, I swear to God, 
I pull all of that, and I'm like, uh, and I, <laughs> it's so good, and it, it was so in slow motion, like, I understand how people die now, like, in car accidents, because <laughs> I, I was like, well, I've done all this, you know, like, right. I grabbed everything I could grab, and I still fell, and like, not only did I... <laughs> Not only did I fall, but I fell on the floor, like face down. I didn't even. And you pulled the runner off of the table pulled, and all the stuff on it. Oh, I god. pulled everything. Oh, and oh I, my god! Like, People I, must have just burst into laughter. But how could you no, hold it? No, that was the best part. So, like, I fell so dramatically that they gasped, like, they, like. <gasps> Like a room of 150 people. Oh and my god! I, I, guys, I'm telling you, I didn't even like stumble awkwardly. Like I fell on my face, <laughs> oh my like god. two feet off the stage, and I got up. But the best part about the whole thing was, is like as it was happening, I, I wasn't thinking like, oh no, I was thinking like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. I, <laughs> I thought it was so funny. I, I was like, oh God, no! And it was it was great. And so I just got right back up and we did the thing. But the panelists looked at me like I was the worst person who ever lived because like this is their big moment. Right, right. Oh my God. It was simultaneously the most embarrassing. I mean, truly, it was out of not only a movie, but, like, a horrible movie. A really bad movie. Did someone, like, come to pick you up and and get your stuff off the ground and and dust you off? This is, like, public speaking, banana peel level, like, cartoon version of what can go wrong in public speaking. It's everybody's worst nightmare that they can't even get a word out and they completely pratfall. It's it's like too cliche to actually think is a real fear. The the vision of you pulling the runner off the table as you tumble. It's perfect. Like I really God I wish somebody had video of this. Like if someone does. Someone does. Someone does. Someone took a picture. I and I didn't know anyone in the room, which makes me sad because I wanted someone there who knew and could like comfort me. But no, it was just me alone having this experience. Did you look on Twitter to see if anyone was like, "Oh my God, I just saw a girl fall at CrimeCon." I didn't. I didn't. Someone took a picture of me right before. I, I mean, maybe like 15 seconds before. And I can tell because my hair was in a clip that <laughs> when I fell on the ground, it just oh, did God. not survive. So when I saw this picture, I was like, that was right before. That was in the one sentence before the fall. But it was oh, God. so. It's so embarrassing. It was so humiliating. I was like, but it's like it's such a I, good I was humiliating so happy. because it's clearly like out of your hands. Do you know what I mean? It's right. not like you, like it's not like you said somebody's name wrong or like you know right. something. It's like so clearly just a great pratfall that nobody. It's kind of yeah. That's good. I love it's it. Just yeah, gravity it was real good. Oh and the God. chair fell on me. It was so good. Oh. It was so. <laughs> So you tumble off like it's a riser, so it's two feet up. Yep, you got yep. all the shit on you, and the chair lands on you. Yep. Yep. Oh yep, my yep. god. It was so like even, What if you like fucked yourself up? Like what if you like broken your foot? That- well, that's what everyone thought. So then to like emerge and be like, I'm fine. I'm just an idiot. Is really cliche and weird. And the authors didn't. You know, like, I've moderated a lot of panels where I know the authors ahead of time, so they would have been like, ha, ha, ha. But right. these authors were not on board with it. <laughs> they were just like, who is this attention-seeking <laughs> asshole? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man, it was so funny. Oh. And I got up, and I immediately was like, so, why don't you guys introduce yourselves <laughs> in whatever book you want to plug? Oh, my God, it was awful. It was oh. so awful. You didn't but say was, anything like... I'm just falling over myself to see you all here today or anything. You, you, you didn't have a witticism? 
Um, I tried to, I, I tried to make a joke, but I don't think it went well. I mean, like, everyone was truly so horrified. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> mostly the audience. Were you oh, laughing, just, like, immediately, or? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was laughing as I was going down it. <laughs> I, I knew what was I happening. mean, that's the way I would just be, like, dying and unable to stop laughing at myself. I, I know right. that I would just be, oh. God. But oh, yeah, God. it was so good. But now I'm like, I, I do remember saying to the audience, I mean, I basically like blacked out because right. it was so humiliating. But <laughs> I remember saying, it's like the know, girl on the train, basically. <laughs> yeah, I remember saying to them, this is the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me. And I'm not embarrassed because it was so crazy. Right. Right. I mean, like, what are you going to do? I didn't do that's anything. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, so oh. that was my book event today, guys. I'm a professional now. That's uh, that's not bad. I mean, I've had some embarrassing things happen to me on panels, but that's that's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's so over the top. I mean, it's just a yeah. chaplain. It's so film. ridiculous. It's great. It's great. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh, God. All right. So let's so, actually go into our revisit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk about books, literature. What are we here to do? Yeah. What, um, uh, what what have you been reading, Ryder Strong? Well, I wanted to talk about two things that um, I've encountered lately, and I, I just want to link them because they both were sort of uh, new experiences that I've um, that I've ever had before. Um, in that they uh, were definitely I would sort of ca- categorize them as works of literature. One of them definitely, but another one maybe is debatable. But they both push the, the, a narrative into a completely new form than I've ever experienced before. Um, the first was a game, a video game, um, that I downloaded for my long flight. Um, I wanted to... I don't really play video games. I'm not a big gamer, but I wanted to find something that was more like a reading kind of game. And so I ended up kind of randomly downloading this game called Her Story, um, which I don't oh, know if you've yeah. heard of at all. Have you heard about this? Yeah. yeah, and it's it's this great game. Um, it's it's it, you know it's definitely for a specific type of person. Like it's not for everybody. Uh, Todd, I think you would love this. Um, so it's a it's an iPad game, and basically what it is is you start it up, you enter the game, and immediately mm-hmm. your screen becomes a screen from like a nineteen ninety eight Windows. Uh, computer screen complete with like the rounded glare the glare of like those rounded screens that they you know that monitors used to have that right. and um you're in the desktop of a computer and you just start clicking around and what's up is these files of video interviews with a woman about a crime about her missing husband and oh my god Right, so what you do is there's like a little readme that you click on and it says you can search for certain words, but there's four videos all the way already up there, but there are hundreds of other videos that you can search through. And the game is to type in words and searches based on watching these interviews and learning the story. So Whoa. basically you're just it's wow. just a basic mystery story with one camera shot like it's you know it could have been made in like all the acting the videos that you're watching could have been shot in like a couple of days so it's really only you and this computer screen and and it's just such an interesting narrative experience that i hadn't seen before um you know to contextualize it as if you're investigating found footage basically but just narratively it's brilliant and um it ends up weaving this really complicated story about this woman whose videos you're watching and i don't want to give any of it away but obviously there's there's a crime and you slowly piece together and it's not only um you know really innovative in that sort of way but the story itself the crime itself the mystery itself is really interesting it's really clever and has all these sort of um it uses a lot of literary techniques, actually. It's it's incredibly well-written. There's all these references to fairy tales. And so they find a way to combine, uh, like, the woman, the character is talking about fairy tales and Rapunzel. But then they also combine fairy tale imagery into the mystery itself, like the things that were actually happening. So it's really clever. And so I wanted to throw that out there. It's just a cool so, innovation. But how's it, a, how's it a game? Like, do you... You have to type in search terms. So if you watch the first four, 
you know, and you don't care and you're not intrigued to type in anything else, you don't know what to do and you get stuck. But if you wa- if you listen to the interview and you notice that she mentions that David works for this glass blower, and then you type in glass blowing, and then like two new videos that you hadn't seen pop up, Ooh. and then you watch those oh. two, and then when you you know because there's a hundred and seventy some videos total, oh, but man. only certain ones give you information that will lead to the next ones that will lead to so you are play- basically playing detective through these old files, and the reason it's on this old computer is that the mystery is from 1990, 1994 right. or something, so it's uh, basically like you're. You're in a period piece. You're going back to this um, story from the 90s and investigating it. And these are the only files that are left. And you have to figure it out. So what you're saying is is my YouTube searching skills could solve a crime. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's the thing that's so great. And that's why it's not for every type of gamer. It's clearly for a gamer who is more of a reader watcher and who right. has like a vague curiosity and story interest story, story interest uh so it appealed to me perfectly um and it was really i feel really like fun. this is the sort of thing that i need to wait until i have a tremendous head cold um yeah. because oh, yeah. there's no way i Perfect. wouldn't do this for 36 straight hours right. like I, I, I it's not that long of an experience i mean i i think it took me like maybe two or three hours to get enough of the videos to know the story and um huh. It's it's but it's totally it's fun and and mostly I've been I, I it's a good one but I what it it portends great storytelling opportunities I think um, for something like that for using well you and, know. It, and it's that whole engine of storytelling that exists in um, in these big video games where there's you know where you have to write a script basically based on what people's guesses of action would be which is right. you know an entirely different form of storytelling which is really cool and confusing, and I don't know how those people think that way. Right. Um, but uh, that's really cool. Yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna have to watch and that. And then the other thing that, that I wanted to talk about was it, kind of on the exact opposite end of the spectrum. I went to my local bookstore, and um, which is very tiny, and, you know, but they have one of those uh, stands out in the front for, like, local zines and small presses. <clears throat> and it's, like, really local, small um, Right. So it's, you know, a lot of, um, like, very political stuff or, like, you know, some visual artist has repurposed 70s ads. And, you know, so it's like, it, it, and, and, like, no, I just decided, whatever reason, I was going to look through all these booklets and just sort of check them all out. And a lot of poetry and nothing that, like, really stood out. You know, it's actually, like, all weird and exceptional in exactly the same way, you know, that kind of experience. But anyway, right. then I, I found this little pamphlet called A Field Guide to the Aliens of Star Trek The Next Generation. Have you guys heard about this? No. No. Um, so it's that's what it says on the cover, and it has, it's like this horrible photocopy of, like, characters from Star Trek The Next Generation on the cover, and then it says Joshua Chapman, English uh, class, and grade 7. And the date is like 1990, something 19. I don't have the cover in front of me right now. Um, and you open it up, and it's a handwritten report on, uh, or a handwritten field guide to the aliens of Star Trek The Next Generation first season. And so I was immediately like, what is this? And started reading, and like, you know, you get to like the third page, and he's rating the different characters, and he's talking about data. And then like, you get a little thing about, I am most like data. And, you know, suddenly, like, this kid's personal life starts bleeding through, and I'm like, okay, this is... Somebody has written, basically, a short story, but in the form of a kid's report to his seventh grade class on the Star Trek aliens. And so I immediately... I bought it for $3 and tore through it and then went online and Googled it, and this is something... It's this Portland writer who no one knows exactly who it is, but he created these books as like a work of fiction. There's a whole series and I can't wait to read the rest. Apparently he takes this character all the way through high school, but all it is is field guides to the aliens of Star Trek. So it's literally like Romulans. I don't like Romulans. Romulans did it. So it ends up being this like very sort of dry report, but then you get, you know, this is how, you know, this reminds me of the way my mom does this. And you start getting this crazy mother character introduced. And it's just this oh, incredible, that like, yeah, um, you know, uh, I've, I've been involved with uh, the show Mortified. I don't know if I've talked about it on the show uh, before, but Mortified, um, which also has its own podcast and it's wonderful, um, it was uh, created by my friend David Nadelberg. 
So I, I think I, Julia has a has a story she can tell on Mortified right. actually. So Mortified is like you you know people reading their diaries or their love letters from when they were kids or teenagers, and um, so I've been involved. I haven't done my own work at all, um, but uh, I've uh, read because people wrote plays like when they were in grade school or high school or college even. And uh, Mortified is they get actors to actually perform those plays completely. Oh, God. And so I've done a couple of oh. these, and it's really fun. It's such a great show, and it's so... And they have a documentary, too, um, that I would highly recommend. It's available on Netflix. But anyway, it reminds me of that, in that, you know, the story is what's bleeding between the lines. Um, you know, here is... The, it, it perfectly captures this period and this mentality of this kid in 1990 obsessed with star trek because his life is so horrible and he gets beat up by bullies every day and his mom is absolutely crazy and raising her by himself and you get all this story from a really dry list format written in cursive and you oh know i God. sort of had, had the best experience because i did exactly what this guy wants to do this is how he's distributing the books i guess it started in portland he's just left a bunch of these in pals and they caught on, and now everybody, you know, he basically was able to create a, a series of every genera- every um, season of Star Trek: The Next Generation was an X grade for this character. Um, wow! So that uh, yeah, is so, so I can't cool. wait. Good this for is him. fascinating. Yeah. So I just, yeah. I just, these are two sort of different directions. Obviously, one is digital, and one is and no one knows who, of, no one knows who this guy is. No, some guy named Zach, I think, or something. There's an interview with him in a in a newspaper I found online that sort of gave the most in- amount of information but um but it's just it's if you can find it i'm sure they're available online that's i'm hoping they're available online because they only had this one and i want to get the rest of the series but i just think that you know what these both were doing were playing with narrative and they both interestingly contextualize it as nostalgia and kind of in the same period um but they both you know really transform how we think of story one in a sort of digital direction with video um, and then another in the complete opposite with a really like handmade, I mean, you feel like you're reading something, you're, you're reading this kid's most intimate personal thing, um, you know, and you just found it stapled for $3 at your local bookstore. So they ended up taking me kind of similar places, even though they're, they're very different. Wow. Yeah, I'm looking online right now. You can buy them from Reading Frenzy for $1.50 each. Cool. Wow. Oh man, I got screwed. Good for this. There's guy. seven of them. Wow. Yeah, I highly yeah, recommend if any if you're interested huh. in like a fun like, I mean it took me you know 20 minutes to read but I, and I, I'm not a huge Star Trek person. My brother is a gigantic Trekkie, but um, so I've sort of absorbed and especially the next generation. It's just right in my it's my age range. You know, it's like exactly I am the age of this kid. So you know, I knew kids who would write these kinds of things i used to write like you know character lists and like invent mm-hmm. my own video games like i remember like detailing me and keith stackhouse like detailing which weapons which characters would have their whole backstory you know pages and pages of things so it really appeals to the sort of inner geek um it's great wow huh interesting yeah now oh. I'm, I'm looking at all this stuff online about this guy so it started in 2011 he started publishing these things yeah. Wow! Brilliant little project. Awesome. A mostly anonymous. I found it really inspiring. Zach. I mean, I found it really inspiring. Um, just for some reason, it really, it's it's yeah. going to turn out that it's Jonathan Franzen or something. Sure. And people are going to be like, "Oh, fuck Franzen." <laughs> or <laughs> worse, Franco. That'd be hard. Or yeah, oh. it could be it could be James Franco. Oh my God! What if it's Franco? What uh, what are you reading, Julia Pastel? Oh, gosh. Well, this is a major transition from what Ryder was just talking about. But um, uh, I recently read at the behest of our friends over at Books on the Nightstand. Uh, I have remained in touch with our Random House friends um, and, and Michael. And they have been pushing forth this book, A Little Life, by Hanya Yanagihara, which I, I don't know if you guys have heard of it. Um, it's new Except this year. Except for the National Book Award. Yep. So they handed it over to me at an event I had them at in April, and they have been really into it, particularly Ann Kingman. Um, and it has now started to rise in the ranks of uh, awards. And, you know, it's basically like Donna Tartt 2.0, although that's kind of you know, diminishing it a little. So it's this giant book here. I'll show it to you. So big. 
so hardcover. Oh, it looks, looks very large. Yes, with a very sad man on the front. Um, but, you know, I it's weird talking about this after Ryder's delightful little story because this is truly... Um, it, this is for readers who want, like, a big, meaty book about really, really sad stuff. So, I mean, this book has <laughs> it all. It has cutting. It has domestic abuse. It has a lot of rape. Um, it is really dark. I mean, truly, truly very dark. And that is just scratching the surface. But it's also, at the same time, a book about friendship and love. And I didn't really know how to handle it as I was reading it, although it's very well written. It's beautifully written and very easy to get absorbed in. Um, until I read an interview with an author who said that she had modeled it after um, a fairy tale or an archetypical story. So it has those like huge vacillations in emotion and loyalty and relationships. So it's really, really dark, but it's really good. And I, I will say that I cried like gross crying at the end um, <laughs> gross wow. angry That's boyfriend cool. broke up with you crying yes it was awesome i mean isn't that what we all want you know yeah uh but yeah. it's also at the same time very emotionally manipulative but if you can go in for that because a lot of stuff happens i mean i it's very hard to talk about this book without giving anything away because there are huge yeah. twists and turns in it um, but if that is something you want, and if the, you know, if there are listeners out there who love Donna Tart and who are like, what is the next 800-page book where I will ugly cry at the end? <laughs> this is it. And and this book is going to be in the press a lot. I mean, it already is, but it's going to be even more so. Um, but also, yeah. So it, it's one of it's one of ten finalists for the National Book Awards. So they they released the long list for the National Book Award. Um, a week ago, and uh, and it was on there with some really great books, none of which we've read on the show, but that we probably should. Yeah. Um, have any of you read any of these books? Jesse Ball's A Cure for Suicide. Have you read no. that? Anyone? Um, Karen Bender's Refund. Um, I have read that one. That one was published by the folks who published my last book, Gangsterland. Um, Bill Clegg's Did You Ever Have a Family? Nope. Did you guys read that? Me either. Uh, Angela Flournoy, The Turner House. Did you guys read that? Nope. No, nope, me either. Uh, Lauren Groff. I haven't read any of the books yet. Lauren Groff, Fates and Furies. You guys read that? A lot of women so far. That mm-hmm. makes me feel good. Yeah. Adam Johnson, Fortune Smiles, which is a, a collection of short stories. I read that. No. Nope. Did you guys read that? No. Nope. It's a good book. Is this just T. A... Geronimo Johnson's Welcome to Bragsville. Did you guys read that? Is this a shaming session? <laughs> yeah, what are we doing here? <laughs> you just want to tell us how many you've read. I've read two. Time, so I've read two of them. Two. Good. Um, well, I've read a, a little, little life. life. On there too. Yeah. So you've read one of them. That's, but so, this is the big question. So if if the three of us who are the target audience of great literature haven't read basically every single book that's up for the National Book Award, it I mean, sort of in a, a question about how, you know, maybe that's why we exist, to talk about great books. But it's sort of a fascinating thing that, oh, man, there's these big iconic books of our time like a little life which is this crying ugly book and prior to today Ryder hadn't heard of it right no nope. yeah that's an amazing thing yeah but i've been in you know baby land right it's true always, so well i mean the, I'm, not, I'm not maybe the the awards are to elect the most popular book they're to elect the true. best it's so like the best you know right. and most of these books are still in hardcover they're still pretty new Right. You know, it takes books longer than we as authors like to admit to gain traction. So the That's awards true. themselves will help people determine which of these 10 700-page books they should read. That's more popular. So, which reminds me of something important. So, by the time this airs, this will already have happened. But this weekend, um, I'm going to either win or lose an award to Stephen King. In New Jersey, is that correct? In New Jersey, yes. So I have to. I'm going out to New Jersey for the Hammett Prize, which is given for the best crime novel of the year. And I'm up against uh, Stephen King, and uh, J- for what, Mr. Mercedes? Yeah, for Mr. Mercedes. Um, James Lee Burke had a new book, um, a wonderful book by uh, Peyton Marshall, who I've just met on the internet. Um, 
and a book by Krista Foss. Um, but basically, my I'm feeling like it, unless it's Stephen King who beats me, it's going to be a wild disappointment. And uh, I want to say that I lost to Stephen King, or I want to say that I beat Stephen King. But there is a third option. The third option is none of those things. Lost with <laughs> lost with Stephen, Stephen King would be cool too. I suppose. Like if if you lose an yeah. award, is with he going to be King, there? I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> So when I, I how important something like that is to him. Uh, I'm so curious. Like, well, it seems... he got awarded something from Obama last week, so probably not that important. Will he yeah. be there? I don't know. Probably not. I hope so. Probably not. It's in Somerset, New Jersey. Who doesn't want to go to Somerset, New Jersey? I don't. Yeah, I'm not really to the double tree. Oh no! <laughs> All right, so what's your revisit? It, uh, you know what? Uh, if Stephen King is at the double tree in Somerset, that's what <laughs> yes. we want to know. Well, it's apparently a big convention uh, that they have. It's at the, some convention center. Double tree is attached to it. I'm just staying at the double tree, um, but I will let you know if Stephen King is there. Um, so, sort of like Ryder, um, my thing is actually not a book. Um, this is something that uh, you two actually told me about, which is the podcast, uh, The Mystery Show, hosted by Starley Kine from This American Life. When you said um, you two, see? it sounded like Bono you two, not Man Rider. <laughs> Bono and the Edge contacted me about <laughs> a uh, podcast I started listening to. And I was like, I only take podcast recommendations from Adam, Adam Clayton. Um Wow, I know a surprising number. Larry Mullen Jr. I know all the names of the people in you too. I couldn't have predicted that. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's not bad. I couldn't go beyond Bono and what yeah. the edge. Yeah. Um, so the mystery show is a podcast hosted by Starley Kind uh, that you might know from This American Life, where she goes out and she solves mysteries. Um, but it's not like, hey, there's a dead body. Let's go have Starley Kind go out and you know figure out who the murderer is. It's not like serial or something. But it's, like, weird, strange little mysteries. So there's been six episodes thus far, and I started listening right after you guys told me about it um, because you guys had told me about um, an episode where Starly Kind sees a vanity plate that said, um, I love 9-11. Yeah. And, and you wouldn't tell me what, I, you know, what it was, and then I had to go find out and listen to the show. And, you know, the, the, the two big questions are, is this someone who actually loves the events that took place on September 11th is this someone who loves emergency operators and she tracks down um, the owner of this license plate and you know it's a, a pretty amazing story um, but there is a episode of the mystery show that I have not stopped thinking about since I listened to it um, and that is an episode called the belt buckle um, and by the way, if you hear anything in the background, my dog is rubbing her face on the floor <laughs> and making like, loud starting Scouts <laughs> having the time. Anyway, um, the belt buckle. It's so the best thing Kine. in the world. It's the best storytelling on the internet. Um, so the the general premise is people will either come to Starly Kind with a um, with a mystery, or she'll discover them on her own. In this case, someone came to her with a mystery, and, and which is that when they were a little kid, um, their friend, who was this sort of Jimmy Olsen type, um, not Jimmy Olsen, um, who's the, the, the bad kid in Leave it to Beaver? Uh, we don't know. You're old. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I am old. Yeah. Um, finds this belt buckle and gives it to his friend, and this kid who has then had this belt buckle for 30 years, sitting in the bottom of a can of crap. Um, and he, it's a very distinctive belt buckle of a piece of toast popping out of a toaster, um, amongst other things. And Starly Kine solves the mystery of whose belt buckle it is and delivers it back to the person. And I'm not going to reveal anything else about it because I listened to this episode as I was driving between uh, LA and Palm Springs, where I live, coming home, and I was crying. Oh, on yeah. the 10 freeway, oh, yeah. tears streaming down my face listening to this episode. I was so incredibly moved. It was the most moving experience of literature I've had all year was the revelation of what this uh, thing was, how they got it back, um, and what it meant to the person. Oh, it was so awesome. Todd, I am um, and so every happy good. 
that you feel this way. Because when I, I remember distinctly listening to the last five minutes, like, at work. And oh, just, my God. Like, I listened to the last five crying. minutes three times. Yeah. And yes. feeling like, oh, my God. And I've been telling people about this, but I don't think they're listening. So I'm hoping our listeners will listen. Yeah. You have to. And there's there's a, other really interesting episodes, too, including one that involves our uh, friend Andrea Siegel. So Andrea Siegel is an author. And many years ago, Britney Spears was spotted in a paparazzi photo walking out of some place with a copy of a book that Andrea had written that literally no one had read. Like, it had sold, like, two copies when it came out. And Andrea had always wondered how Britney Spears got a hold of it. And uh, they find out. And it's uh, it's pretty cool. Um but it's, it's a great show, and I, I've been listening to a lot of these sort of narrative podcasts in the last nine months because of you guys talking about them. I hadn't really been into them before. I, I'd mostly listened to, like, fantasy football podcasts. But this one is so good, and, um, and it's so funny. And what she does really well is talk to people who aren't really involved in the story that just exist in some yeah. tangential way and gets to these core truths about them. There's a, a moment in the episode about the Britney Spears um, holding Andrew Siegel's book where she talks to a guy at Ticketmaster on the phone about buying a ticket to this event and then spends like 20 minutes finding out about, you know, the sadness of his life and his hope for finding love and all these things. And I'm just like, man, I got to call Ticketmaster. I got I to gotta <laughs> talk to this guy. It was so good. Um, so you guys have to listen to it. There's six episodes of The Mystery Show. You can get it for free on, on iTunes. Um, I, I'm so excited. I've listened to episodes, but I haven't listened to the belt buckle. Oh, you have to it's the listen to the belt buckle tonight. It's tonight. so beyond the best this. one. It's so... <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, it's the it's absolute so best good. one. Yeah. Starly Kine, uh, I've, I've actually met her, and the reason is because she uh, she did an episode of This American Life where she talked about Boy Meets World. Mm. Um, it, she went through a phase where she was obsessively watching Boy Meets World, <laughs> and so she talks about uh, there's an episode of This American Life called Rerun, and so uh, I, I pitched a story to This American Life years ago, and they we were in, I was in communication with Wendy Door is that her name Wendy Door, and she was like oh Starly Kind mentioned you on this episode. I was like what? Went back and listened to the episode, and then I ran into Starly at this an event in LA, and it was like hey. She's like, I know who you are. And I'm like, yeah, you're the one who talked crap about my show. She's like, well, no, no, no. It's not that, that, that. Because the whole episode is like her admitting that she loves a horrible TV show. Right. Yeah. It's great. Awkward for it's you. <laughs> so that's my, that's my revisit. Everyone go listen to that. And then I promise by the time our next episode comes out, um, I'll have just finished writing a book. And I'll be reading books again, so I'm looking forward to, to digging into some of these uh, titles that yeah. we'll be talking about here today. Wow. Cool. Thanks, guys. Do we have, any, do we have anything else to say? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.